Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly dialogue that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. That's T-H-E-D-I-S-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R.com. What's up, opt-outs, and what's up, Master Z? We're here again, kicking off a conversation. It's the start of another week, and today we're talking about a topic called bitter medicine. And bitter medicine is a term that most of us are familiar with from our childhood. I think regardless of what culture and what family we grew up in, at some point, we had to take some really nasty-tasting stuff that our parents gave us because they told us it would make us feel better it would clear up our skin. It would get rid of our colds. I grew up in an in Indian household, and we had something called chavanprash. And chavanprash was this thick, black, spicy substance that came in from New Delhi. It looked like it came off of the street, and we were supposed to eat a spoon of this to keep us healthy. And we hated doing this. We absolutely detested it, but we did it. We did it because our parents told us to do it. We did it because we knew it would keep us healthy. And Z, you and I have been talking about this concept of bitter medicine applied to everyday life. What do you mean by that? How does bitter medicine apply in our day-to-day life, and how can we use it to make sure that we're maintaining our health? Well, Vin, you hit right on the head. Bitter medicine in itself is something you'll see in every culture. You have a product known as Swedish bitters. You have another product known in Ayurvedic medicine as uh, part of the three doshas. In Chinese medicine, you have all the bitters, which are really about maintaining the high standard of health. They're your prevention models. They're your regulatory models for the body. You're gonna, there's an old saying, the master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. So the master goes through certain rituals daily to prepare themselves to deal with life, to engage all the adversities of the day. We have the idea that the bitters are the known chances and known challenges that one faces every day. How do you go out ready for that? Not overly prepared, not anxious, but ready to engage. You're going out in the winter, you were given a, a set of rules. Try not to go outside with your hair wet. Uh, wear, layer your clothing. Um, these are all the bitters of the day to prepare you uh, to get through your day with less encumberment, to incur fewer challenges. Where we're talking about it today is the trend in our culture now where we want to avoid anything uncomfortable so as that our life is filled with joy and folly, what have you. But those bitters that we must ingest and must endure on a regular basis are an important part of strengthening the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual character of every individual. Whenever we avoid the bitters, then it will require greater intervention in other ways to address the normal effects of life on us. 
So if we avoid our supplementation in our diet, then we will find ourselves deficient. Yet that supplementation isn't always the tastiest part. It's not always the most memorable part, nor is it exciting. But it is a necessary part of a good dietary protocol is supplementation. Getting up every day and doing certain daily rituals of exercise, self-maintenance, though they are not necessarily enjoyable or pleasant or fun, so to say, they are a necessary part of maintaining more than optimal health. Certain rituals throughout our day and throughout our life we consider bitters because, again, those reinforce us. They prepare us. They give us the general tools of maintenance we need to live a good life. We have certain things that we do with our motor vehicle. You own a car. There's a little light will come on and say it's time for maintenance. You're like, well, well, nothing's wrong with the car. How about I just drive it till something breaks? No, if you follow that maintenance protocol, that car will live uh, out its life with you without leaving you stranded or, or have a huge mechanical bill. So too, those are the bitter of good ownership, good maintenance of your vehicle. And then we can apply that to every area of life. Z, you alluded to some of the categories of bitters or daily practices that are going to keep us healthy. And you talked briefly about things like supplementation, things like exercise, possibly spiritual practices like yoga or meditation. Could you maybe go through a checklist of the types of practices and routines that we should have on a daily basis and give people a sense for what types of routines are really critical uh, to maintaining good health? Those practices um, that one would have in their life are your example, your exercise regimen. You want to stay fit. You want your bones healthy. You want your organs working right. You have a exercise regimen or ritual, whatever you'd like to call it, that goes beyond this idea of trend or joyful, but you know that doing that, there is a subtle benefit that your body remain strong, it remains healthy. You get up every day and you do your yoga practice or your fitness practice, whatever it is, as long as you do it. And as you become more consistent with that, it transcends the temperament of the moment. It's neither good nor bad. It is, becomes a part of you. It becomes the synthesis of being. And the benefits you will notice internally, and you will know it, notice it within a relative, where you can see the different trajectory your health takes, as opposed to those around you who don't have that practice. The same way with diet, nutrition. Simple awareness. Those little extra things you do when you're shopping. Those little things you do to avoid evil of diet and things that undermine you. Uh, those are the simple bitters of diet and nutrition. Is that you're going to watch the source, clean, organic, non-GMO, 
low gluten, low lectin, basic, basic, basic thing that to someone who doesn't have that, again, you can use a, a kind of a, a relative observation. People don't have that. They don't care. They just grab whatever they're going to grab, eat whatever they're going to eat, get whatever's convenient, and you'll see their health compared to yours. Pretty simple. For those who take their bitters, they have that reinforcement. They have that uh, foundation of well-being that others don't have. Then we apply that to interacting with people. Basic courtesies extended to others without looking for reciprocity. You're no longer thinking about, I want to be nice to this person and not nice to that person. Well, the bidders are being polite to all people. I think you hit on a lot of the important categories. And one point you made, which I think is fundamental, is that these go from bitters, these go from being things that are uncomfortable and perhaps distasteful to something that's just a part of us, to something that we no longer think about. It doesn't seem like a burden. It's just something that we do. And we can find a certain satisfaction in these practices because we no longer separate them from the rest of our life. If we look at them as an added burden and we think, oh my God, I've got to exercise, I've got to spend more money at the grocery store and make sure that I get the right food, it's going to feel very distasteful. But if we recognize that it's part of a harmony that comes together in our life, so that our health, our well being, our vitality, depends on this ecosystem, which includes these daily practices, then it simply becomes a part of what we do. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Ben. Um, the bitters are the little, I think, early, the, the early collaterals of self-awareness. Those little things you do every day that allow your life to maintain a certain level of harmony. And taking it, uh, giving it a bit more clarity. You line up your supplements in the morning and you take two of these, three of these, two of those. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Because you have that understanding that this is, Part of the ritual of well-being, healthy being. You take time out to have a self-assessment in the in the relationships you have with others by maintaining and checking yourself, doing that self-maintenance. That how would you say that that interpersonal hygiene? You tend to have healthier relationships. And we refer to it as bitters because these are not things that are exciting, that are necessarily sweet, fun, or flavorful. But they reinforce the greater you. And what we're going to get into is that when we avoid the bitters and we pursue that that is flavorful, that that is sweet, that is that that is comforting, then we lose all of that. We begin to lose touch with all of that. 
we can no longer tolerate basic bitter. And that begins a general decline of the self. We witness it daily in our culture that people are addicted to fast food. And the statement you hear is it tastes so good. It's so tasty. And people who work on their health will know that when they have stepped away from that, or either they haven't gone down that path, they don't even imagine fast foods to be food. People will often ask me, uh, ask a direction, or they'll tell me the location of a place. And they'll say, you know, you go down the street and you make a left right when you pass the, the Taco Charlie. And I'll say, well, I, I don't know where Taco Charlie's is. He said, well, everybody knows where Taco Charlie's is. You can get five tacos for a dollar there. I said, well, I, I don't know where that's at because in my mind, I don't consider that food. I don't consider that a, a, a place to go and refresh my nutrition. So it doesn't even register in my consciousness the location of Taco Charlie's or 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 Burger Giant, or whatever it is. So for those of us who have an awareness of nutrition, these things, these things that don't include the bitters are not even considered nutrition. For those who are working on our health, we have to be very aware of the, the general benefits of the bitters, of the healthy eating, and also the acquired taste for that that is healthy. Yeah, Z, I think you make some excellent points. And if I look at myself and some of the changes I've made in my practices, my diet over the years, it's not just an awareness that junk food isn't food. It's not just an awareness that these things intellectually are bad for you. It's a visceral feeling that you don't want this stuff in your body. And the awareness is a physical awareness. When we become more in touch with our bodies, when we're more aware of how we're feeling and what the impact is of our routines on our health, it's not some theoretical exercise where we say, oh, let me sacrifice today so that 30 years from now I'll be healthy and I won't die of a heart attack. It's as soon as I put this food in my body, it makes me feel like crap. It brings me down. It lowers my energy level. As soon as I have more than a glass of wine, my perception isn't as clear. My head feels foggy. If I have too much coffee, I feel nausea. And this is something that I've cultivated over time. I think those feelings were always there. The effects were always there. But the awareness wasn't there and the sensitivity wasn't there. So as we start practicing and building these bitters into our routines, it becomes much easier. It basically becomes easier over time because. There's no intellectual aspect to this anymore. There's a real tangible knowledge of how we feel with these in our lives and how we feel without these in our lives. And over time, the choice becomes more and more obvious. It doesn't become a choice anymore. It's a necessity. We need this to function at an optimal level, and we need this to feel good. Absolutely, Vin. And I would even listening to you, I'm even thinking about how we can 
look at the concept of bitter uh, in a different way. Neither sweet nor sour nor salty, um, not hot, not cold, um, not sad, not happy. I would really want to challenge our folks to think of bitters as the seed of self-awareness in every area of life. As we are talking about nutrition, the bitters of nutrition are the acceptance of nutritional boundaries and limits. Accepting that there is a limit to the amount of sugar that should be in your food. Everything doesn't have to be so sweet and sweeter. Everything doesn't have to be so salty. Everything doesn't have to be so dripping with fat. And for those who travel the world, you will notice the minute you arrive in uh, other countries outside of Western countries, especially outside of the U.S., that the sweets don't taste as sweet. That the helpings of foods are not as calorically dense. That dessert is moderate. That the salt is moderate. That the taste of food is moderate. So that's what we're talking about, bitters. Is that we don't have to have the extreme of experience. That's when it comes to nutrition. When it comes to other areas of life, when it comes to other stimulation, the bitters when it comes to dealing with our technology is setting healthy limits to our relationship with technology that we should not always be pursuing another stimulating story. Something that is uh, it, what would you call the stimulus, Ben, that we get from uh, the, the serotonin dopamine rush we get from clicking onto the next thing? The bitter is, in this area of life, is that bitter of saying, let me stop right here. That's enough downloading. That's enough clicking back and forth. That's enough chasing. The bitter is finding a good story and seeing it to its conclusion without chasing the next flash or click or alert. Now, the bitters in social life are being able to sit still in a conversation and actually listen to a person in total without interrupting, without transitioning without avoidance. But this is a big thing. We're going to talk more about it. When you allow the bitters in conversation, you're opening yourself up to a deeper and more intimate conversation. How many people have built their lives around not talking, not speaking, how often do people leave a interaction wondering? So I want to use this term bitter medicine. I want people to be able to use this term bitter medicine as it applies to all areas of our life. 
diet and nutrition, human interaction, and the general emotional and spiritual well-being of you as an individual. What is your bitter medicine? We've covered nutrition a little bit, and we'll later on we'll get into a whole nutrition thing. But I think we really want to deal with the health of the person. Bitter medicine is your exercise regimen. Bitter is not a bad word. It has no negative connotation to bitter. It's actually very neutral in that sense. It's neither high nor low. The benefits are always positive. The benefits to bitters are always positive. Though they may be challenging, they're always positive. Bitters, where it pertains to human relationships, is having the ability to have an uncomfortable interaction that will lead to something very positive. To sit with something that you are normally uncomfortable with until your register of comfort changes and then you will be in a, in a peaceful place with wherever you're at. It is like having a that conversation with your parents that you've always wanted to have, but, but you have talked yourself out of. To have that conversation with someone you are in a social situation with, a, a new friend, old friend, a new partner. I've talked to people who are going through the dating scene. And they go through all this intrigue, and they're really wondering about the person they're dating. They're really wondering, does this person like me? What about this or what about that? And I said, have you talked to them? It's, oh, my God, oh, no, I haven't spoke to them about it because it's uncomfortable. Well, if you don't talk to them about it, how does intimacy grow? And if you are avoiding this, then why, how will you ever get your time back? Why are you wasting your time? Get these things out of the way. Have those bitter conversations. What are those bitter conversations? The ones that are a bit awkward. Getting to know. Revealing. You, you expose a little bit of yourself. I'll expose a little bit of myself so that we can move on with building. Because until you have those bitters, you can't build. Because remember, bitters are the building block of the greater part of the dynamic. So you have to have those bitter building blocks to build the whole. To build the whole of everything. You understand, Ben? It's such an important point because if you don't do that, a few things happen. Number one, as you said, Z, you start wasting time. You're in a relationship. You don't know where it's going. You may be on a road to nowhere and you would never find out. Two, it's taking a lot of mental energy because you're wondering what's going to happen. What is this person thinking? What if I do this? How are they going to respond? And it creates anxiety. It destroys peace of mind. It's not really a fun state that we want to find ourselves in. 
And then beyond that, if you don't resolve some of these issues, especially if you do have an intimate partner, this stuff hangs in the air. The entire atmosphere becomes frigid and the interactions become colored. So you end up interpreting everything that someone else says through a lens of all the past resentments and all the past grievances that you have against someone else. And the relationship falls apart. And the longer that this continues, the longer that you don't have these conversations, that you don't clear the air, that you don't get back to some form of communication, some form of intimacy, the greater that chasm grows and the more damage is done. Absolutely right, Ben. I would go over a few Let's go over a few ideas about bitter medicine. So let's look at bitter medicine and why people avoid it and why it is so essential that we become, uh, we develop that palate for bitters. People in family situations avoid discussion. Uh, Recently, a family member passed away. And I got a call from a brother of mine, and I haven't seen him in years. And I remember as a young child meeting that brother for the first time. It was at my father's funeral. I was sitting in the front row of the memorial service, uh, probably six feet, two meters from my father's uh, casket, the young boy. 13 years old, and I sat forward to tie my new funeral shoes. And as I leaned forward, I looked to my right. And at the same time, another little boy was leaning forward, looking to his left. And I was taken. At that moment, I was looking in a mirror. There was a boy who looked exactly like me. Same age, everything. And as I sat back, all the adults in the room were watching us. And my grandmother touched me on the shoulder and said, I'm going to talk to you about something when we get outside. And when I got outside, she brought this boy up who looked like me. He said, this is your brother. I said, well, that's obvious. And all the adults came around. That's really obvious. And he said kind of the same thing. And actually, his voice sounded just like mine. Still does. So I want to introduce you to your brother. So I said, okay, my brother and I, for whatever reason, we got this covered. Him and I, we got it covered. We, we had basically the same response, the same look on our face. And what I want to know and what he wanted to know is what the hell has been going on that no one has told us for 13 years of our life that, we have, we, that I have a brother that's damn near my twin. And all the adults, one by one, said, we kind of wanted to talk to you, but it was uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable conversation. 
And we were both pretty hurt by it. To this day, we've outgrown it. We've talked about it. So because they were all avoiding the bitter truth, him and I lost many years of our life that we could have shared together as brothers. It is unlike the story of Kunti Ma in the Vedas. The great Pandit Yudhistra and his brothers were in a particularly difficult battle as discussed in the Mahabharata. They were going to battle against a great warrior known as Radia. Radia was routing the, the Pandus in such a way he was just really beating the hell out of them in a particular battle. And they all sat and they had a discussion about how can they win this war against this great warrior that they would have to do something they had never done before. They would have to actually have to fight in unethical ways. They would have to come up with strategies that were unbecoming of royal blood in order to defeat this man in battle. But to make this story short, <clears throat> they ended up beating this man in battle. And they were all celebrating the victory. And as they returned to their uh, camp, Kunti Ma, their mother, was overwhelmed with despair. And the brother said, Ma, why are you so upset? We've all survived the battle. There's no funerals that you need to prepare for. And she said, uh, no, there is a funeral. That man, Radia, Karna, you killed, your nemesis. You have to prepare a funeral for him, a grand funeral. They said, why? He was our nemesis. They said, no, not only was he your nemesis, but he was your older brother. And they were all taken aback. And then they reflected upon their interactions with him, how he toyed with them, how many times he could have killed them and didn't. And so, Vin, I don't want to go too far off on this. you got to pull me back. But basically, the story of Radia and the Mahabharata is about bitter medicine. Kunti Ma, for the sake of preserving and avoiding shame and embarrassment never told them that they had an older brother. And it wasn't until they killed him in battle that she confessed that they, he was their older brother. And this caused them so much grief and suffering, all because of this idea that there are things we shouldn't talk about, things we should avoid conversations on. Bitter medicine is always good. And it's always bitter. That's how you know it's bitter medicine. For people to truly reach the boundaries to reach true intimacy, lovers must engage in bitter medicine. They must have that conversation of what do you need from me? What would you like from me? And I will sit quiet and still, and I will listen with an open heart and with the intention of accommodating your wishes, because I love you. 
because I love you. Siblings will sit down and say, I am honored that you are my brother or my sister, and I will sit quietly and ask you to share with me what I can do to be a better brother or sister. And with an open heart, I will strive to fulfill that. Dear friends often don't have to do that because the reason they are dear friends is because they have ingested the bitter medicine on a regular basis in their life. Bitter medicine is always good. And you know it is the right medicine because it is not easy. It goes down slow. It requires attention as you ingest it. And then you have to sit for a moment with it to allow the bitterness to disperse. Bitter medicine with yourself is the acknowledgement that you have things you need to work on that you have not necessarily applied your best effort. Bitter medicine is the critique you're willing to sit quietly with that the master whispers in your ear or speaks plain and clear to you. Here's where you have to work on yourself. And if you take that bitter medicine, and you follow that protocol, you become a better person. That bitter medicine is when a family sits together and says, we as a family need to do what's best for us. And in doing that, that may create clear boundaries between others. See, this is something I hear every day that undermines the health of families is that, they, that people in the family externalize the value of the family as opposed to internalize the value. Bitter medicine is the internalization of remedy, not the externalization of self. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I've got a few reactions. The, number one, that story in the Mahabharata is one fucked up story. It's not surprising given my experience with Asian culture and people don't like to be straightforward. Uh, for some reason, there are certain topics which have been designated sensitive, they've been designated off limits, and they're never discussed. Yet, how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't know what's in their heart, if you don't know what they care about, if you don't know what's top of mind, what they love, what they fear? It's impossible. It just drives a wedge in between people. So you made a number of important points. I think that's one aspect of bitter medicine, being able to sit through these uncomfortable conversations and speak very openly. We've talked about other forms of bitter medicine being things like exercise, nutrition. We've talked about daily practices, whether it's yoga or tai chi or meditation, whatever works for you as an individual. So I think the audience probably has a good sense of what bitter medicine is. It's the set of routines and practices that keep us healthy and keep us going, but feel uncomfortable because we're not used to them. 
and because they don't provide immediate gratification. And we're so used to looking for things that give us that immediate hit. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the cost of avoiding discomfort. And avoiding bitter medicine, there's a direct cost. I think the obvious cost is if we're doing things that aren't promoting our health, we're not going to be healthy. That's obvious if we don't exercise properly, if we don't have the right diet. But it goes beyond that. We actually fall into a trap. And this is something that you and I have explored. We talked a bit about this in some of our other conversations like investing in loss and be content, which is that the more we seek comfort, the more we seek things that are going to provide that immediate hit, the less tolerant we become of anything that's uncomfortable. And what that means is that we can never be content because if we're trying to engineer the environment so that we avoid all uncomfortable conversations, so that we're only eating food that tastes sweet and that has some fatty texture to it, so we're not physically exerting ourselves, we degrade as individuals. We become less robust. We become less adapted to the environment. And the standard for discomfort becomes lower and lower. So over time, everything becomes uncomfortable. We can't even deal with life. We can't do anything. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, what I want to just follow up on what you're saying, Vin, is, again, bitter medicine, you need to acquire a palate for that. The benefits are beyond your imagination. The gift from doing this type of maintenance on yourself will give you rewards beyond your wildest dream. And I have exercises that I share with people on how to develop this nuanced palate, this exclusive palate for bitter. One of the basic things is avoiding the endless pursuit of comfort. Learn to sit with things you are normally uncomfortable with until you find comfort. Little exercise. Become a good listener. Even when a person is a dullard, create a time boundary and listen to them for however many minutes before you plot your exit. Process what they've said because even a stop clock is right twice a day. When you go out to restaurants, keep your menu simple. Don't demand a lot of stuff. If the menu offers three things, pick one of the three. Don't ask for something that's on the menu. Just as an exercise in yourself, engage the wait person, the servant, as if you cared about them, even if you don't. Try that. When you go to the local uh, Star Coffee or wherever you're going to get your daily brew, try to get in and get out as fast as possible without being involved in the endless tweaks to the menu. It may not be exactly the way you like it, but it serves its benefit to you. And you know what? You'll end up with more time in your day. So there are a number of little exercises on sitting 
with things you are normally uncomfortable with until you find comfort or you find them tolerable. When you get a break with your partner, go somewhere that isn't so ritzy just to be with them and observe life together. Go listen to comedy. I would even say go far as far as go listen to the most offensive, said to be offensive comedy and laugh at it shamelessly. Embarrass yourself and go, wow, I, I actually laughed at that joke about whatever. But you know what? You laugh. Don't do a deep analysis or don't do a comparative to see, is it okay to laugh at this this week or, or, or not? Spend a day and regulate the amount of complaints you have in a day about whatever it is. So make a journal of complaints from the time you get up in the morning till the afternoon and see what are the things that you complained about. And every day, reduce the number of complaints in half. Starting first from morning till noon. Is it a complaint about the weather, about traffic, about crowds, about someone at work? So let's say you come up by noon, you had 10 complaints. So by the end of the week, those complaints should be down to five by noon. And by the afternoon, you have half of those complaints. And you will find by the end of the month, that your day is generally very pleasant because you've learned to sit with the bitters of life, the inevitable effects of gravity, the inevitable consequence of dealing with other human beings. You'll realize that the world isn't designed to your likings, so you need to like the world. When it comes to your personal practice, Avoid flirting about and jumping around to different entertaining events. Goat yoga, canary yoga, whatever. Sit with a practice. Still with it. Still with the environment. Maybe it's a little cold in the room or a little warm. The mat isn't just right. But what did you come there for to practice? It is said in the Vedas that one should not adjust their practice for themselves for the but should adjust themselves for the practice. So the more that we work on acquiring that taste for bitters, the more benefits the bitters have on us. And remember, benefits are the foundation of consistently good health and great well-being in all areas of life. In our spiritual practice, We should not look for uh, spiritual jubilance in everything we do, in our meditation. Sometimes when you meditate, it seems that you get nothing out of it. Well, the truth of it is the fact that you meditated, you got something out of it. Meditation is a quantized practice. Quantized. You're weighing particles of dust. So the dust of meditation benefits you. And over a lifetime, the accumulated weight of that dust brings you to enlightenment. 
So you have to sit with it. So the gross and obvious is the stillness. So those are the bitter. With your partner. Accept them. They're not everything you want them to be, but you're not everything they, that they want. But you're the best for each other. So work on that. And if you work on that, you improve yourself. Who would you like to be with? Uh, if your partner is uh, lacking in fitness, be an example and a role model. See if you can do that. Like yourself and other people around you will like you. So we have to practice the bitter ritual so that we can find great value in, in, in the intake of bitters. Listen for words that don't validate you so you can improve. No one improves without critical. Uh, without critique, without criticism, none of us improve. I've done martial arts all my life, and one of the things that I learned is my teacher didn't put me on the road to mastery by telling me everything I did well. He didn't have to work on that. He told me everything I didn't do well, and that's what I had to work on. And when I worked on those things and got really good at things I weren't good at, I was on the path to mastery. It was like a, a wise mentor once told me, a real friend will tell you when your breath stinks. A real friend will tell you you have bad breath. Somebody that doesn't give a damn about you will avoid that conversation. They won't tell you you have bad breath. They'll simply avoid your presence. And avoiding that, you lose the opportunity for fruitful commerce. So one must not indulge in combat liberalism. We have to face the bitter. We have to have those conversations. You have to show up and do your part. You have to go out of your realm of comfort. Do what is not necessarily comfortable in order to be the best person you can be. You follow me, Vin? Z, I've got a couple of reactions to what you said. First, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm, as soon as we get off the discussion, I'm going to go and cancel my GOAT yoga subscription. Uh, I think it's not too late, so I'll make sure that I'm not enrolled in that. The other thing that you said that I really liked is this idea of sitting with discomfort. It's so important. And we've talked in the past a bit about how if we can sit with discomfort, the things that feel uncomfortable cease to be uncomfortable. It's really a way of freeing the mind. We have certain concepts of what we can tolerate, of what's good, of what's bad. These are things that we've picked up from social conditioning. These are things that we've become accustomed to. But most times, things aren't good or they're not bad. They just are. And we're the ones that are assigning the meaning. And that meaning keeps us in bondage because we're always trying to avoid the things that we label uncomfortable. And we're always trying to gravitate, uh, gravitate towards the things that we find pleasing. Just, just simply sitting with discomfort breaks that bondage. It breaks those conceptions because we adapt. 
and suddenly we're more capable of dealing with a huge variety of situations. We're much more open to life. If I look at my family, I can contrast my wife to my, uh, my baby daughter, who's seven months old. My wife, over time, has developed some issues with sleeping. So when she wants to go to bed, especially when she's stressed, she needs absolute quiet. She has to get the earplugs. She has to close the windows, close the bathroom doors so she's not hearing any drips from the faucet. It has to be pitch black, so we need blackout shades. She can't have any air disturbance, so she's got to get in the blanket in a certain way. And guess what? She's less likely to fall asleep because any slight disturbance is going to throw her out of whack. And not only that, her mind is going to be so anxious and so worried that there's going to be a noise or there's going to be a light that she ends up staying up all night until she's so tired that she finally crashes for a couple of hours. If I look at my seven-month-old daughter, she hasn't had time to pick up these concepts. She doesn't know that it's got to be pitch black for her to sleep. She doesn't know that it has to be absolutely quiet. So guess what? We can have the lights on. We can be having dinner. We can be running a vacuum cleaner. There can be sirens that are going by. If she's tired, she'll be completely knocked out and she'll wake up feeling rested. And she doesn't have any of that stress or that mental processing. So being able being able to sit with discomfort gives us a lot more flexibility. It gives us a lot more contentment and I think a much better capacity uh, to navigate all of the situations that life throws on our path. And, and there are so many um, pieces to this, Ben, and we'll probably work on it more. Simple saying, the more comfort you seek, the more elusive comfort will be. We went from being able to sleep on a blanket with a rock as our pillow and the, the sky as, as our cover to needing to sleep number bed, and it's never comfortable. We went from being okay with a, 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 a cool shower to needing a specialized showering. The more things you add to try to sleep, the, the, the more difficult it is to sleep. Sleep in itself becomes a chore. Imagine that. Sleep becomes a chore. When we have to back it up a whole lot, rest when you're tired. Keep it simple. Uh, these are things that we have to avoid because we've been pursuing comfort so much that you can't find it anymore. People can't just sit down and have a meal without having to embellish it endlessly with exotic spices and sauces and even the, the very temperatures of the food. I went into one of these... Um, Star Coffee places once to get my chai latte, which is my preferred drink. I like the uh, almond or coconut milk chai latte, right? And there was a someone ahead of me who ordered a cold, hot, foam, no foam, calf decaffeinated. I'm saying, what the hell is that? The choices were so elaborate. So they said, well, they put the foam and then take the foam out of it so the residue of the foam is there. Then they take it, make it hot and throw ice cubes in it and pull the ice cubes out. 
I said, this is insane. And the person said, yeah, they, they get it every day. They can't live without it. Can't live without it. So you have to think about, because we've avoided so much discomfort that nothing is comfortable anymore. Nothing is comfortable anymore. We cannot sit next to another person without having to deal with so many accessories of comfort. I was recently on an airplane flight and a woman had a foaming, growling pit bull sitting next to her. A foaming, growling pit bull sitting next to her. And she said it was an emotional support animal. Everyone on the plane that was around there were, were in fear of their life or in fear of the life of their emotional support uh, animal. So now we are so uncomfortable with ourselves that we are now asking hapless animals to be surrogates of our own anxiety. So for those of us who are enlightened, for those of us who have opted out of this, we have to step back and try to see normalcy through the window of nature and that life on earth is wonderful and divine, but it is inherently challenging. Having good social relationships are inherently awkward and sometimes a bit uncomfortable. Having intimacy is inherently uncomfortable, but it leads you to a, a place of great joy. Having a healthy life practice is inherently challenging and uncomfortable, but it leads you to great health. Life on earth is intrinsically uncomfortable. So one must take bitters every day to deal with the arduous nature of a fulfilling life. How about that, Ben? Z, I think that sums it up. I'll rephrase what you said and provide a little bit of a different perspective. You can't have growth without challenge. There can't be any growth without stress. We see this everywhere. If you're trying to add muscle, you need to add some stress to the system. You need to lift heavy weights, put a load on that's beyond your normal capability, and that forces adaptation. That forces the organism to change and to meet that stress. So avoiding bitters is, in a sense, avoiding growth. There's no way for us to grow and to progress and to learn without doing things that are uncomfortable, whether they're our daily routines and things like exercise or spiritual practices, whether they're related to relationships and difficult conversations, or frankly, whether they're related to our path. We all get to a point where we've tapped out on the direction that we're going, where we've done all we can in a certain job or a certain role, and we need to keep on evolving. I think one of the fallacies that many of us have is that we'll get to a point in life where we can just rest, where we've done everything. So once I make a lot of money, ah, 
I can relax. I don't have to work anymore. Or once my kids go off to college, oh, that's great. I don't have any more responsibility. Yet at that point, we have to keep on challenging ourselves. We have to keep on moving forward because life is all about growth. It's all about development. And if we get to a point where we're not moving forward and we're not challenging ourselves, we might as well be dead. Absolutely, Vin. Discomfort is the seed of innovation. Innovation. To go inward and create. Think of innovation as that. You're sitting there, you remember when you sat with someone and you you had an awkward moment with them. That's where the relationship was built from. We made it through that. We made it through that. If you avoid that, you don't have this. You follow me, Vin? So we, we, we have to embrace the bitters of life and wholeheartedly embrace them because that's how we grow. That's how we evolve. And look in every area of life when it comes to raising your children. Because I have always been open to the bitters, I am able to talk with my children as friends, as buddy. And it is always humorous, awkward, and, and uncomfortable with them because they can talk to their dad about anything and everything. And to the point where often it's embarrassing. But even that embarrassment is fun. It's actually fun, and we look back at, on it with fondness. With the people I'm close to, they they relate to me on so many layers that I can truly say I have good friends in my life. Good friends. Not various associates, but I have a handful of people that are my heart and soul. And you're one of those people. Where we can talk about everything. Sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's anger, but most of the time there's they're smile. And that's because that's where bitters lead you to. They make you hearty. They give you the intestinal fortitude to deal with the change of weather in life. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, it's funny you bring that up. I remember the first time I met you. You criticized something I was doing, and I didn't like you very much. And I thought, who does this motherfucker think he is? <laughs> and and we persevered, and we got through that. And you're right. It's a beautiful relationship. It's one of the most open relationships that I have. And because of that, I feel like I can come to you with anything. And I feel most alive when I'm with you. And think of relationships that we have with people. That we don't do that. There's light, there's superficial, there's surface. Think about the get togethers, the social gatherings people have to posture and to put on airs. How bad you feel when you leave that. There's nothing good about it. Nothing good about it. So as we cultivate ourselves to have the palate for bitters, we're now opening ourselves up again, deeper levels of our humanity. As we opt out of 
seeking only the flavorful interactions, taste, and life. We opt into having a, a very holistic and rich relationship in our lives with ourselves and with the people in our lives. It's a win-win situation. That's really well said, Z. So at this point, I think we can wrap up the discussion. And in summary, we've talked about the importance of bitters. We've talked about bitters in terms of daily practices. We've talked about bitters in relationships. We've talked about bitters in continuously challenging yourself and putting yourself in new situations that force some growth and some development. And Z, you provided a number of very interesting ideas about how to incorporate this into our lives, whether it's limiting the number of complaints or it's opening ourselves up and really listening to people or it's just being able to sit and be comfortable with an uncomfortable situation. So let's keep that in mind. We'll try out some of these practices and remember that the things that don't taste great, that we might not get an immediate hit from, it doesn't soothe the palate immediately. The reason we do this is that over time, it makes life that much more sweet and that much more enjoyable. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.